This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Hopefully everybody is well. Tons to go over today. And I'm going to start with the Ranger game because of the goaltender interference that was not called. And I think everybody can empathize with this situation. We'll get into the Rangers and the loss and all that a little bit later on, but Late in the second period, the Rangers apparently score the game-tying goal, Kevin Hayes, and it's waved off immediately because of goaltender interference. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is because the overwhelming majority of replays for goaltender interference are to see if there was goaltender interference when a goal counts. This was one of the rare situations where there is a replay for goaltender interference to see if there is a way to have the goal stand. And... They went back, reviewed it. Rick Nash clearly hit the pad of Reimer. Reimer was outside the crease. And that apparently, from what we understood, would make it a non-call. Because if you go back to last year, Rangers were in Carolina to play the Hurricanes. Lindholm scored a goal in which he had contacted the mask of Auntie Ranta. And the ruling was Ranta... His mask was outside the blue. The contact was incidental, thus the goal counted. In this situation, contact was incidental, the pad was outside the crease, and yet the goal did not count. So I would like to see the National Hockey League try to come up with some definitive black-and-white ruling on this because what's so different about goaltender interference reviews and opposed to pretty much every other review in sports is that it's not to see if the player is offside. It's not to see if the puck crossed the line. It is a second opportunity for the official in his judgment to deem whether the contact stopped the goal from being scored or allowed the goal from being scored. And that's the rub here is that it is still a judgment call by the officials on the ice. And so the allegation is always going to be, well, does he really want to reverse his own call? Does he want to embarrass himself to say that his live call is different than the call he had at second chance? So you wonder if there's going to be motivation to not reverse his own call, as opposed to in years past when it would be a third party in Toronto that would take a look at it and be kind of neutral on it. There is a bias in which will the official want to overturn his own call, especially when it is a judgment call. It's one thing to say, well, I didn't see it cross the line. Looking at the replay, I saw it did cross the line. Thus, I will change my my ruling. This is now changing an opinion, which sometimes is very difficult to do. Just think of yourself in an argument with somebody where you're steadfast in your opinion, and now you, that opinion is going to change. It's, it's, it's hard to do. So I would I wish, and this is the way I would look at it, I would allow contact, incidental, I mean, obviously you don't want to have purposeful contact, but incidental contact outside the blue should be allowed. And any contact inside the blue, not allowed. And the replay will just show whether that contact was in the blue crease or outside the blue crease. And then that's it. Take the opinion out of it. That's probably the only way I can see this resolved because it's it's a thorn in the side of this league. Every sport's going through it right now where there's a touchdown. All right, did he hold on to the ball? There's a, there's a shot, but let's go back to the replay to see if his foot was on the three-point line or whether the clock expired. So there's it's taken a spontaneity out of sports is what it has done. And you see a goal score. 
board, especially if there's a scrum in front of the net. So instead of the building up for grabs, a celebration, it's, well, let's see, maybe there was goaltender interference or maybe 30 seconds prior to that, the play was offside. It's driving a lot of people crazy. I think replay is important in this day and age because you don't want to have to live with a mistake when you have a chance to reverse it. But it's gone from erasing the egregious to now nitpicking every little centimeter and I think it's taken some of the fun out of the sport, and it's caused a lot of controversy. So that's what happened with the Rangers last night. They deserve to lose the game, considering they still had lots of time to win the game, and they gave up a goal with a minute and nine seconds to go and lost 5-4. In a game, they trailed 3-0, 4-1. They fought back to tie the game, only to lose in regulation. But you know what? Maybe the Rangers deserved a better fate. If you want to look at it that way, well, they got two points against Vancouver on Sunday, probably didn't deserve. But in this league right now, as we get deeper and deeper into the season, Every point you leave out there, every Ranger fan watching that game last night assumed that game was at least going to overtime and they'd have a point in the standings and they walked away with nothing. There's going to be a team, likely in the Metropolitan Division, that is going to miss the playoffs and they're going to miss by a point. And what the fans are going to do and what that team is going to do is they're going to go over the entire schedule and look at the points that they thought they had in their pocket and they lost as a reason why. They missed the playoffs. Now, that's a foolish exercise because, like I said, Rangers will look back at that Panther loss and say, boy, that's a point we should have had. But they could also look at the Vancouver game in which they got two points and say, you know what? We probably didn't deserve to get any points in that game. So it all kind of balances itself out. But if the Rangers, for some reason, missed the playoffs by a point, I guarantee you Blue Shirt fans will circle November 28th home against the Panthers in which they could have at least a point and didn't get anything. And it might end up hurting them at the end of the day, especially when that's exactly where the Rangers are right now on the outside looking in. But good job out of the Florida Panthers. Couple of wins in a row here on the road. And Reimer, that's that's the surprise too, right? I mean, Reimer gets the start after Luongo wins the game against New Jersey the night before. And Reimer's really struggled, but he gets a win. I like this Panther team. Barkoff's a good player. Trocek is a good player. Uberdo is a good player. Uh, Ekblatt's a good player. I mean, they've got a lot of talented team uh, players on that team. They just haven't been able to put it together, and we'll see if they can maybe go on some sort of a run. Uh, Islanders, again, very quietly winning games here. And what's really coming to fruition here for the Islanders has been the play, not just of John Tavares and Anders Lee, who's got 13 points, but but Jordan Eberle. Now, he's got 10 points, but or 10 goals, excuse me, but he got off to such a slow start, and it looked like it was going to be a brutal trade. He's beginning to warm up. So if you're able to get 13 from Lee, and you've got 16 from Tavares, and you've got double digits now with Eberle, and the way Barzell is playing, this Islander team... It's starting to really come together, and they were able to produce, uh, what, uh, 36 shots on goal. Vancouver playing game five of their six-game Eastern swing. They will conclude that six-game road trip uh, coming up in Nashville. Uh, Tampa shuts out Buffalo 2-0. Veselovsky gets uh, the shutout, making 34 saves. Uh, The Flyers now have lost nine straight games. And, again, this time when you look at the, um, the box score, uh, another example of where they score the first goal and they have a lead, albeit just a one-goal lead. Giroux gives them a one nothing lead 49 seconds into the game. And then midway through the second period, Tierney scores, Thornton scores, Vlasic scores. You lose the game 3-1. So not an egregious blown lead, but another day in which Philadelphia does play with a lead and not hold on to it. 
So that young defense is getting exposed a little bit. Nine straight losses now for the Philadelphia Flyers as they fall to a very surprising San Jose team. Uh, in the shootout, Columbus beats Carolina 3-2. to Darling gets tagged with the loss in this one. So Columbus bounces back after losing in Montreal the day before. Uh, Hannafin scored for Carolina. Anderson for Columbus in the first period. Wierenski gets his seventh in the second period. McGinn then ties it in the third midway through. And then once they get to the shootout, it would be um, Atkinson tallying a goal, Panarin tallying a goal as well as they win 2 nothing in the shootout. 3-2 overall. Detroit jumps out to a one nothing lead, but then four answered goals by the Kings uh, in their victory over Detroit. So Mike Green scores first. Detroit has the one nothing lead going into the second period. And then it would be Brown, Kopitar, Kempe, and Kopitar again. Kempe scores for the first time in a while. Kopitar has got 12 goals. Brown has 10 goals. So, you know, the Kings obviously getting the production where they need it. Those are the three guys, right? Brown, Kopitar and Kempe, who have been a major reason why offensively the Kings have been able to be a playoff team this year. And, of course, you throw quick into the mixes all around why that team has been so good. Something about uh, Chicago brings out the best in Nashville. Nashville wins that game by the final score of 3-2. to two. Of course, it was Nashville that swept Chicago out of the playoffs last year. Saw an interesting situation early when Forsberg beats Forsberg. Forsberg was in goal for the Chicago Blackhawks, and it was Philippe Forsberg that scores his 12th goal of the season. Wingles also gets a tally to tie the game up. Uh, Watson for Nashville, and it would be uh, also Roman Yossi that would get uh, what proved to be the game winner for the Nashville Predators. Uh, Interesting game in Calgary between Toronto uh, and uh, Calgary, uh, a game that the Leafs eventually won 4-1. to The Leafs are now in a really, really nice groove here. Uh, Calgary just didn't have the alarm clock go off until it was way too late. Pollock scores in the first, Yardef scores in the second, Kadri scores in the third. It's 3 nothing, and then finally Stone scores uh, about five minutes into the third period to make it 3-1, and then Calgary really turned it on, put a ton of pressure on uh, Anderson. Uh, they just could not get that second goal, and then eventually Komarov puts in the empty netter with a second to go 4-1, so... Just a little bit of a late wake-up call for the Flames, and it cost them as Toronto wins on the road. Uh, tough loss for Arizona. They uh, led this game for a while in the third period, uh, but they did earn a point. But still, just one of those typical tough losses for the uh, the Coyotes. Fisher and Cassian exchange goals in the first period. Then Oliver ekman Larson scores uh, late in the second period on the power play. Uh, and they hold on to that lead until about five and a half minutes remaining in the game when Benning scores his third to tie it. And then a gorgeous breakaway goal by Ryan Nugent Hopkins, his ninth of the season in overtime to give Edmonton a big win. And Vegas gets blanked at home by Dallas. Uh, the final score, 3 nothing there. Only the second regulation loss for Vegas at home so far this year. And Fosca, his show, a natural hat trick goal, 6, 7, and 8 for the Dallas Stars, and a big win on the road for them. All right, let's go to your tweets. A lot of people want to comment on the comings and goings of the National Hockey League. Uh, Let's start with Chris. He says, do you think the linesmen should be able to call penalties as well instead of suggesting one that they saw, like being able to call a play dead and call a penalty? It would certainly add more eyes to the play. That's a good question. <clears throat> obviously about what was it 20 years ago probably at this point where they added the second official so you would think the two referees should do it 
Um, I kind of like it the way it is, and here's why. Because there is going to be an inconsistency with a linesman being able to call penalties. Because they've got a job to do, and their job is to make sure whether a play is offside or not. Um, They've got a function with the icings, and you want them to be able to focus on that so the referee can focus on the penalties. So if a linesman happens to see it and they ask for help, or he can go over uh, and contribute to the conversation, but allowing them to add to their job can affect what their number one job is. Two officials should be more than enough. And with the added element, as you mentioned, Chris, of an official being able to go over to a linesman and ask, uh, I think that should be more than enough. Now, if you say, well, well, if he goes over and out, why can't that official then go over and tell him if he saw it? Well, then that leads to him thinking that he now has a job to pay attention to it. So is it fair to a team to get a penalty because the linesman happened to see it as opposed to times where he happened not to see it? when it's not their job in the first place. So I see both sides of it, but I do think four eyes should be enough on the play rather than contributing to the linesman doing it as well. Jordan says, hey, Don, do you think the contracts of Taves and Kane have hurt the Blackhawks, especially with having a to lose a lot of depth uh, they had at the blue line? Well, that's the problem. Um, you got to pay players. Uh, one of the problems Chicago has had very much since the very beginning, we've talked about this before, losing Bufflin, losing Ladd, losing so many players since the 2010 championship, just comes from the fact that you have two of the best players in the league. And when you have two of the best players in the league, they have to get paid. So, yes, it is hurting them. But do you? what's the alternative, to let one of them go? Uh, and then which one do you let go? I mean, I, I think... Uh, Taves is the modern-day Mark Messier. He may not produce the points that Kane does, but he's one of the great leaders in this sport. Really, is there anybody even close? And Kane is the special player. Uh, I think a lot of teams would kill to have two players of that ilk on their team. You know, the Rangers go through it, too, by paying so heavily to Nash and Lundqvist, but they certainly don't get the production of that pair the way Chicago gets the production out of their pair. Anaheim for a long time, having Getzloff and Perry. Uh, That's starting to come to a little bit of an end now because of the injuries. But, again, it costs a lot of money to have those types of players. So to answer your question, Jordan, yes, it does hurt. But the alternative, I think, would hurt worse to lose one of those classically great players that have got you three championships and still put you in a position where they could still end up winning uh, you another one before their career is over. Brett with a couple here. He says the Florida goalie was barely touched. Goal should not have counted. Uh, goals should not count, but against the Rangers, can't pull themselves down 3 nothing in, in the first period. No question. Love the never-say-die attitude, Rangers, but shouldn't be put in a situation to begin with a minute nine to go before overtime. Great way to look at it, Brett. Yeah, I think they got jobbed on the non-goal, and if you believe in the fallacy of the predetermined outcome, if the Hayes goal is the game tire in the second period, then the Kreider goal makes it 5-4, and the Rangers at least go to overtime, but we don't know how the game changes uh, if that game is tied at four as opposed to Florida holding on. Florida was trying to hold on. The Rangers were dominant in the third period. Maybe they would have been a little bit different situation had that game been tied. But you can't spot a team. I don't care what the team is. I don't care who the goaltender is. Three goals in the first period and expect to be able to win those types of games. But at the same time, at 4-4 late in the third period, you think you're at least getting a point. So as much as you want to criticize the officials, it's the Rangers. 
with the ice tilted and dominating the third period, still allowed the, the Malgan goal to be scored with a minute and nine seconds to go and cost you a chance to win. James says, hey, Don, Isles are on a winning streak. I'm hearing rumors about the Islanders trading for Kane. I personally wouldn't uh, want him, but uh, should the Islanders consider it? I guess when you're saying Kane, I think you're talking about a Vander Kane from Buffalo because I think you would salivate at the chance of Patrick Kane, but Kane's not coming here. Yeah, Vander Kane, he's a winger, so I think he's a fit. I don't know what you would have to give up. You can't afford to give up anything on your blue line, and if you start uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul, uh, that's never a good idea. And then from a forward situation, it'd be nice to add it, but you know, who do you give up? And are you going to give up somebody that is only going to be just then replaced by Kane? So I'd like to know who they'd be giving up in that situation. Uh, Dan Isles uh, negative, whatever that is. Too early to tell, but in your opinion, which Islanders player is more likely to win the an award? Uh, Barzell winning Calder, Letty winning Norris, or another Islander player winning an award not mentioned? Well, they're not going to win a Vesna. I guess there is always the possibility that Wake can win the Jack Adams because if the Islanders make the playoffs or maybe even win this division, I'd have to put Waite in the conversation for the Jack Adams Award. If the if the Islanders end up having a phenomenal season, could John Tavares possibly win the Hart? Yeah, that's a possibility too. But the more likely candidates, even more than Letty winning the Norris, is Barzell winning the Calder for Rookie of the Year. The problem with that is look at the number of players that are going to be up for that award. I mean, there's just tons of young players. You look at Vancouver – um, Brock Besser's got an excellent chance to win that award. Uh, DeBracket from uh, Chicago, excellent chance to win that award. Keller in Arizona, uh, those would be three finalists right there. Um, and then you look at what the Devils have done with Butcher with all those assists, and uh, he sure could still be heard from, although I think those guys are on the outside looking in as we speak here 25 games in. But I, I would say Barzell's got the best chance to win an award for the Islanders, but even that's tough to say because, boy, I cannot remember a season in which we've had so many great rookies. Uh, John Logan says, goalie interference is the NHL's version of the NFL catch. <laughs> it is. Um, but it, here's the difference. There's not really a judgment call on it. As much as you hate the NFL catch rule, no one can argue that the ball moved in those situations you may not like it it might not be what we judged to catch when we were growing up this is a more of a judgment call they're not looking at it at the catch as a judgment call they're looking at it did that ball move was there any movement when he hit the ground was there any movement before he crossed the plane all that is that less of a judgment and more of did the ball move and in those situations they did it's just aggravation that that's not what was the problem in the 80s or the 70s when it was a catch what I equate goaltender interference reviews to is if the NFL decided to replay goal, uh, uh, pass interference, and then it would be a judgment call. Did that contact uh, inhibit the receiver from making the catch? So that would be the equivalent uh, to me. Um, Stuyvesant says, what are your thoughts on NHL players not going to the Olympics, and do you think KHL players will go? It does look like the KHL players will go. Um, I have no problem with the NHL players not going. My main reason for that is I lived through Nagano, uh, Japan in 1998. The hockey was phenomenal, and I watched every second. 
And the reason I was able to do that, and I taped the games too. I have them on VHS. So that the uh, Canada Czech Republic gold medal game with the shootout, tremendous hockey. One of the greatest hockey games I ever saw at three o'clock in the morning. I worked the overnight at WFAN and got to watch all those games because I was working in the middle of the night. The rest of the country sleeping. So how are you selling your sport when these phenomenal moments, these historical moments are happening while everybody's sleepy time bobos? Doesn't make sense. And Gary Bettman made a great point a couple of weeks ago. The greatest goal in Sidney Crosby's career is the golden goal in Vancouver in 2010. The NHL can't use that in promotions. The NHL can't use that in video presentations before games. They can't show you highlights of that goal during games. The greatest moment in Sidney Crosby's career, the NHL cannot benefit from in merchandising, in video, in replay, nothing. Greatest goal in Crosby's career. Scotty's got what, what uh, three Stanley Cups and the greatest moment of his career. You ask him, he'll say it's the golden goal in 2010. The NHL does not benefit from that. Now, they benefited from it because everybody got a chance to see it. It was in the middle of the afternoon on a Sunday, but that same goal scored in Nagano, that same goal scored in Seoul, Korea, happens at 2.30 in the morning and not a Seoul season. So how does the league benefit from that? And, oh, by the way, while that's happening, your league is shut down for 16 days, so not only are NHL fans deprived of hockey for two weeks, but their only hockey that they're going to get a chance to see in the Olympics is going to be happening in the middle of the night. So... How does that behoove the league, other than making Alexander Ovechkin happy because he gets to represent Russia with another crack at winning a gold medal? How does the NHL benefit? And the NHL couldn't benefit any more than they did in Salt Lake City in 2002 and Vancouver in 2010, but that's not going to happen in Korea. It's not going to happen in China either. Not to mention you know, the players that can get hurt, and then they come back to play in the second half of the NHL season, and they're compromised, and you know everybody's going to complain about that. I guarantee you the hypocrisy of fans, the ones that are screaming and yelling that the players are not going to the Olympics on the NHL side and how awful that is, would be the first to complain if one of their favorite players can't play in the second half of the season because they got hurt when their team didn't even medal in the Olympics, Right. I can't believe they're going out there. They're with NHL players. So the idea is ridiculous. I would I, I would love to see it, but I also would love to see a game played at 7 o'clock in, at night instead of uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, like they're going to be played when they're in Seoul. And you can't do what you did in 1980 and tape delay things anymore, not with social media. You can't, oh, I'll DVR the game, I'll watch it in the morning. Well, yeah, I guess you could if you completely shut yourself down. But that's one of the biggest complaints of the Olympics for people that really like to follow it is that the social media spoils the party because they find out the results before they get a chance to see it. And let's also not forget, people, the greatest Olympic hockey moment in the United States history was 1980 with amateurs. Mike Arruzzioni was not an NHL player at the time. Jim Craig was not an NHL player at the time. And it's still the greatest moment in the history of Olympic hockey with amateurs. So if you love hockey, you'll stay up and you'll watch a lot of good young players that have got an excellent chance that in the future will play in the National Hockey League. So I I, I think it's fake outrage. I really do. <clears throat> we live in a world now, and we're seeing it with the Eli Manning stuff, with this mob mentality of you're disappointed in something, and now you've got to attack the decision maker for it. So that's like the sports radio thing, this outrage. And it's easy to attack the Giants because they're 2-9. and nine. 
And it's easy to attack the National Hockey League because Gary Bettman's not a likable guy, and a lot of hockey fans do not like Gary Bettman. They do not like the National Hockey League. They think the league is against their particular team. So it's easy to have the NHL be the villain. So you're disappointed that the NHL is not allowing their players to go to the Olympics, and you want somebody to blame, so you're going to blame the NHL. But just ask yourself, as disappointing as it is, does it make sense for them to go and play? And it doesn't. Let's see. Jack says, hi, Don. How do you see the NHL changing in 25, 50 years? Is it the way players are scouted, rule changes, style of play, all-star game format, no more shootouts, etc.? Hockey in the next 25 years. Well, the one thing that I'm seeing happening that is slowly maturing into this direction every year is the physicality. All right? Fights are almost non-existent. So I could totally see 25 years from now where we'll never see fights or there be serious discipline for fights because it's been taken out of the game. Nobody really knows how to do it anymore. Most teams do not have that type of presence on their team anymore. We've seen most of those fighters already be taken out of the league or, God forbid, lose their lives as we've seen players, so many um, fighters uh, die after their careers are over. So I think there's a lot of contributing factors to that. But also... We're seeing less hits. The game is not nearly as physical as it used to be, so it's become almost more of a non-contact sport where I could totally see like 25, 50 years from now, you'll watch a hockey game where you're just going to see a lot of freestyle flow of play because there's just not going to be a lot of hitting. Uh, I think that would be a shame, but if you look at hitting 25 years ago compared to now, I mean, not even 25 years ago, go back to 15 years ago. Scott Stevens laying out Paul Correa. Scott Stevens laying out like any number of players. Those the, the vast majority of those Scott Stevens hits are illegal today. They weren't illegal then, and they were great moments in NHL history, and it actually put Scott Stevens in the Hall of Fame. And most of those, if not all of those hits, would be deemed illegal today. So we've already seen that aspect aspect of the game change to where you've got to hit differently to where it's more about skill and lack of hitting. And I've called games where I can maybe count on one hand the big hits. And some of those big hits end up being boarding penalties or hits illegal hits to the head or suspended. So if I had to say one thing that will vastly change over the next 25 years is the physicality being completely taken out of this game. Nick says, why is no one talking about the Islanders, it seems like? Well, we're talking about them here. I'm going to try to get Brendan Burke on. We haven't been able to get on the same page because um, with our schedules. But we'll talk. we talk Islanders hockey. We, we talked about it earlier. Uh, They're laying under the weeds. It's the Islanders, so obviously the Rangers are going to get talked about a little bit more. But uh, believe me, in in the right circles, in the right places, the Islanders are certainly getting their due. And if you're an Islander fan that feels like they're not getting their due, well, that's probably a good thing because then the expectations will be a a little lower and maybe you can fly under the radar when you get to the playoffs. And I say when you get to the playoffs because clearly to me they are a playoff team. Uh, Jack says, what young teams are best suited for this moment to win three, five years down the road? Well, the Devils certainly seem to be set up that way. You look at some of the young players in Arizona, they look like they're set up. Uh, Toronto, their their future is probably now, but they've got a lot of good young players as well. And I'm going to throw another team into the mix, Vancouver. I think a lot of expectations were lowered by uh, Vancouver because we didn't know what uh, Vertanen was going to do. We didn't know what Besser was going to do. 
you know, they're transitioning away from the Sedins and they're bringing in some really good young players. And I think Vancouver's future is pretty bright, too. Alex James Wilson says, did you happen to catch the history of the NHL documentary that was on NBC Sports Network? It was very well done. I haven't seen it yet. I've watched a lot, a lot of history of hockey. I will definitely try to check it out and give you my uh, my critique of it. I'm anxious to see it. I just haven't gotten around uh, to watch it yet. But thanks for the heads up. I'd like to check that out. <clears throat> Michael Klein says, hey, Don, love game misconduct. After Holden's rough night, should the Rangers look into replacing him with D'Angelo or uh, um, <clears throat> Bianc? Uh, would rather see some young, uh, some youth get the experience as opposed to a stopgap in Holden. Can't be much worse to replace him. Well, listen, let's not get crazy, okay? All right, Smith and Holden, they are what they are. You put McDonough with Holden, Holden becomes better. All right, um, Holden is getting a bit exposed here because his partner in McDonough is out. All right, D'Angelo, Pionk, Pionk had the great camp, didn't make the team. D'Angelo did make the team and really didn't look like he was ready. So I'm not ready to do that yet. All right, it was a tough night, but you're also the first time they lost a game without McDonough, and McDonough is supposed to come back on Friday. I think you will see. Much better play from their blue line once Ryan McDonough returns. Um, Tomahawk83, hey, Don, love the show. What's up with the Columbus power play? Uh, November 28th, uh, 2016, so a year ago today, they were first in the league at 28.3%. One year later, 31st in the league at 8.8%. Columbus seems to be doing fine anyhow without power play production, but that will burn you. They've got to do better on the power play. And with... Cam Atkinson, and with Panarin, they should be much better on the power play. Um, is the loss of Sod that big of a difference? Panarin's had a little bit of a slow start, so maybe that's a contributing factor to it. But they've got some real talent there. Not watching them every single day, but I have I've been uh, – the Rangers have played them three times. I called two of the games and was at the other one, so I've seen them live. They have been a little banged up. Um, Atkinson was out for a little while. Calvert's out. Sedlak is somebody that's back and healthy for them. Um, but, but a power play, judge it on possession time. Because sometimes it's just, hey, the goaltender steals the show or they get a bunch of shots but can't finish. So if you start to see them spending a little bit more time in the offensive zone, even if they're not scoring, it tells you that it's starting to come around. But I think once Panarin begins to warm up, I think that they will be a lot better off on the power play. But it is strange in one year going from one of the best to one of the worst. 8.8, under 10%, 25 games in, not a good thing. Uh, Alex Falk says, uh, got to go with no um, no water because he's going with his um, Mount Rushmore of hockey movies. Uh, Miracle, Goon, Slapshot, Mystery Alaska, um, huge proponent of Goon, also love... Uh, ice of uh, oh, the documentary uh, Ice Guardians. Did you see it? I, I did not get a chance to see that. I enjoyed Goon, but my problem with Goon, and, and it's my problem with the glorification of fighting to begin with, I live with it in Slapshot, who's one of my favorite all time movies, because that's what the game was. You know, that's what the game was back in, the, in 1977. Is that what the game is today? So. You know, to have a movie about a goon when there really aren't goons anymore. I know he's not playing in the NHL in the movie. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I, I, I sometimes am a little hesitant 
because I do think it's a stereotype of hockey that all hockey is is about fighting, and then you have a movie that's primarily about fighting. It just kind of feeds into the stereotype that that's what not only the NHL is, but also what makes the NHL popular. There seems to be among non-hockey fans this feeling of, well, a fight breaks out, I was at a, I was at a uh, boxing match and a hockey game broke out, and this feeling that the sport will never be able to evolve as long as they, uh, they they have fighting. And fighting is so much the part of the conversation. And if you watch sports, this sport, they, uh, fighting is not a part of the conversation. I mean, they passed off something a couple of weeks ago as a line brawl between the Flames and the Red Wings that, you know, the, the 77 Flyers would have laughed at. You know, <laughs> the Broad Street Bullies would have laughed at that. Uh, the uh, uh, the big bad Bruins would have laughed at that. And that's what we consider a line brawl. We see a fight now and people are aghast. I've called 15 games. For the New York Rangers this year, 15 have yet to call a fight. And yet there's this feeling that fighting is such a part of the game, and, and it's 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 so not. So Goon is a funny movie. Goon is a good movie. But maybe my bias is, is that it's just another hockey movie that kind of glorifies the fighting aspect of the sport that really just does not exist. Maybe certainly in the minor leagues and in certain junior aspects it does exist. But in the overall sport of it, uh, I just don't believe it, it, it there, and and I don't miss it at all, to be honest with you. I think the game is better without it. Uh, Reed says the Penguins are trying to trade away Ian Cole. If Vegas is interested in him, should they give up Cody uh, Eakins? Uh, there's been, I, I was listening to the Vegas broadcast last night, and they were debating it as well. I don't know if Vegas is going to toy with what they have. Now, it'll be interesting how they bounce back from getting shut out at home. Um I think that I don't think that's a first place team, but it could very be a playoff team. But that's one of the heart and soul guys. It'd be interesting, but you know, to be able to land yourself a coal wouldn't be a bad job either. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Zach says, um, letting their bad habits of October, slow starts, and turnovers come back into their game. How much longer can they survive playing from behind so early in the game? They need to figure out if they're serious about making the playoffs. He's talking about the Rangers. Well, last night. They gave up a goal on the first shot, which is the fourth time this year they've done that. But the good news is it had been over a month since they've done it. So, yeah, it crept back in over the last couple of games. Did against Vancouver, certainly did. Well, actually, against Detroit, too, they fell behind. But hasn't been as much a part of their game, but certainly uh, it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Sebastian says, if you consider that Nash never entered the crease on the Hayes no-goal call, how far outside the crease is the goalie protected? Well, he's protected as far as harm, but I don't think he should be protected as far as whether uh, it interfered with the goal. He was outside the crease. I thought he was able to establish himself. The contact after uh, he hit the pad was initiated by Reimer, I need to find more about that, Sebastian. I tweeted you last night. Uh, I need more of a definitive answer on why the hell that goal uh, did not count. Um, John Charles says, uh, any update on the Islanders Arena situation? I know this will impact JT's status. Also, sad to hear you haven't seen any of the Mighty Duck movies. They age well. Give it some thought. All right, I will give it a thought. I, I mentioned that I haven't watched any of the Mighty Duck movies, and I'm kind of stubborn. I've gone this long in my life without seeing it, so maybe I won't. Uh, but uh, getting back to the JT stuff, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, it's the same old story, right? Outside Belmont Park, trying to get something done. But I do believe they are going to have to have some kind of concrete plan of staying in this area, specifically Long Island, if John Tavares is going to stay here long term. I don't think there's any question about that. And hopefully they can do it because that would be a travesty. I think there's a
hockey team. I think this is a fun hockey team, and if they lose their best player, they become kind of an all-star. And I don't want to think this team deserves um, major consideration to stay in this area, and it's going to be very difficult to do if they lose their absolutely best player. All right, I'm going to go to Facebook because I feel bad. Dan's been uh, sending me messages on Facebook. I get so caught up in Twitter that I forget, but I finally remembered, and I'm going to read your message. Hey, Don, game misconduct is tremendous. Well, that's nice. It's really cool to be hearing from hockey fans all over the globe. Hope the numbers keep rising. Is it coincidental to being on the ice or mental lapses with Holden and Smith? And what's up with the ice time at the end of the game? Thank God McDonough may be back for Friday's game. Thanks, Don. As I mentioned before, Dan, once McDonough comes back, everything is going to be fine. Hockey blue lines are based on situational play, distributing ice time, and putting guys in the right spot. And that means that you could be a really good second or third pair defenseman. That doesn't mean that I can put you on the first pair and you're going to be able to play as well. Why? Because your minutes are going to change and your competition is going to change. Especially when you get the last change at home in the matchup situation. If I've got to go up against the best players in the league, it's going to be a lot different than when I'm going up against second, third, and fourth lines when I'm playing in the second pair or the third pair. That's number one. Number two, who am I playing with? So if Holden is not playing with Ryan McDonough, or if he's playing with Ryan McDonough, he's going to look a lot better than if he's playing with Smith. So it's all about putting people in the right positions. And when you lose your best defenseman the way they did in Ryan McDonough, it's only a matter of time before certain players get exposed. So I wouldn't worry about it. McDonough's coming back on Friday, and all of a sudden you will start to see Holden play better. Smith is a thrill a minute. <laughs> Let's face it. Smith is a guy that you'll compliment on that amazing offensive play that created a, a scoring opportunity or maybe created a goal, and before you get that compliment out of your mouth, he's coughing the puck up and causing a goal the other way. That's just his game, and he's just a thrill a minute. So the idea is to put him in situations where those thrills and those cough-ups happen less often and happen uh, less time when there's somebody of real quality on the other team that could take advantage of it. So um, that's something that's going to have to change. And, again, that will change once they get their six guys together playing the way they're supposed to play. And that's the way that uh, I, I would look at it from there. So I like when McDonough is with Holden. It's worked. It, they've turned the season around once they, they put that combination together. Of all the different combinations that you had, Holden and McDonough has been better than Holden and Stahl, better than Holden and D'Angelo, better than Holden and Smith, and all the different uh, combinations that we've had. McDonough and Holden is what you want to see, and they will have that happen likely on Friday when the Rangers take on the Carolina Hurricanes. All right, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for contributing today at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. And, Dan, thank you for contributing on Facebook as well. Uh, we've got games tonight. We've got the Lightning and the Bruins from Boston. As Boston's starting to warm up a little bit. Tough night for the uh, the Ducks, right? Banged up, coming off, giving up a seven spot in Chicago. They're going to be in St. Louis to take on the Blues. And at 930, uh, the resurgent Jets will take on a very interesting avalanche team so we'll go over the four games tomorrow uh we got lots to get into your thoughts on the movies if you want your thoughts on goaltender interference at don lagreca hashtag game misconduct back with you again tomorrow this was the wednesday edition of game misconduct thanks for listening to the game misconduct podcast looking for more don lagreca hear him on the michael k show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m on 98.7 espn in new york 
worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.